John took a moment to thank Abby and I from, uh, from you guys, and I want to take a moment to thank you guys from, from us. Um, each year I'm amazed at, at what God chooses to do through his people, um, and it's exciting every year for me to come and, and watch and to see new faces, to, to see people who have known Christ for, for decades. Um, it's exciting for me to see people who are hungry to learn. Uh, you guys, uh, most times make pastoring very easy. So I thank you for that. Um, I'm amazed by you guys. There's a few other things I'm amazed by. Um, I'm amazed at how quickly uh, I have found this out about myself. Uh, I can set my allegiance to something. Uh, Let me say that a different way. I'm amazed at how quickly, how adamantly, how set in my own thoughts I can become. I'll say it a churchy type way. I'm amazed at how faithful I can become to something, and it doesn't take all that much. I've been uh, fighting this cold for the past week, and uh, it's one for the most part, um, and it, it's involved a lot of uh, nose blowing. I won't go into detail. Um, I've, I've kind of, uh, I've, I've had a thing against normal tissue uh, for most of my life, so I've, I've uh, bounce back and forth between toilet paper and, and baby wipes this week. Until I found in the men's bathroom, of all places, a box of Scotty's Kleenex. Scotty's. Okay, I tried it just once, and I was hooked. I was, I was willing to be faithful to Scotty's. In fact, I went to the lower office where I know Donna keeps the tissue uh, underneath one of those places, and I pull out a box all excited to take it up to my office, and it wasn't Scotty's. And so I thought I was being pretty sneaky. I went into the boys' bathroom, I left that off-brand in the bathroom, and I took the Scotty's up to my office. Now imagine my surprise this morning. It's like, hallelujah, I went in there, and there's Scotty's tissue in there too, up in my office and in the bathroom. I have become faithful to Scotty's tissue. Amen? Oh, you guys don't have to amen to that. <laughs> I'm also amazed at how, uh, I mean, we, we see the same type of faithfulness with us and our sports teams. Yes? There are fans, and then there are diehard fans. Okay, these are the fans that will stick to a team. They'll be faithful to a team through winning and losing, through, through good times and bad times. These are the fans you need to make sure that when you're sitting next to them at the game, you don't say anything that's going to offend them because you'll end up with nachos on your head. Now, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I think I will. It was about 13 years ago my wife surprised me and, and took me to a Seahawks and Broncos game. Okay, the Broncos didn't win that game. Um, Years and years and years ago, 13 years, okay? Um, and we ended up sitting next to a couple of Marines who were enjoying the libations served at the Seahawks Stadium. And it was Abby, myself, and these two diehard fans. I like to keep quiet, but my wife grew up in Denver. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Faithful fans. You know the ones I'm talking about, don't you? Faithfulness. Stick-toing something. Stick-toing. 
sticking to something through thick and thin. We're going to spend some time this morning talking about faithfulness. Now, we're in our continued series on Joshua, and we're going to jump chapters 13 through 21, as those chapters talk about the division of land to the Israelite tribes. Now, if you're into real estate or property management, feel free to go home and read those eight chapters. You'll really enjoy them. If you're not, then I invite you, grab your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 22, and we'll pick up actually a couple of verses before that. Before, though, I do want to ask God's blessing on, on our time in his word. Um, let's pray. Lord God, I'm, I'm grateful that your story continues to be written. I'm grateful that in each of our hands we can have your written word, uh, your declaration of love to us, your declaration of faithfulness to us. And I pray, Father, this morning as we look at that faithfulness, um, that we would, God, that we'd be impressed by it. And more than just us being impressed, that, uh, that our faithfulness to you would be increased. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Gen- uh, Joshua chapter 22, actually the last two verses in Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 through 45. It says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised to their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. They talk about a story of faithfulness of God to his people, and also to his promises, which we talked about last week. God had told Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then others on through the genealogical tree that they would inherit this land. He had reminded Joshua of this promise at the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He told Joshua, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. And now, in our passage today, we are reminded of God's faithfulness to those promises. Verse 43, so the Lord gave all Israel all the land he had sworn to give to their ancestors. They took possession and settled it there. I mean, this verse pretty much sums up all of Joshua 13 through 21. Now, Joshua 1 through 12 can be summed up in verse 44. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had promised. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. (coughs) Rest would happen. God had told this to Moses in Exodus 33. The Lord replied to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, verse 44, God also says that no one would be able to stand up against the Israelites. Once again, this takes us back to the beginning of Joshua, verse 5, where God told the servant turned sergeant, he said, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. If we're looking at summary of all of Joshua, that's what verse 45 does. Not a single one of all the promises the Lord has given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. 
Everything he had spoken came true. So God was, God is faithful to his people and to his promises. As we move into chapter 22, we get to see this idea, this this theme of, of faithfulness or this theme of fidelity. We see this idea continue. You can follow along as I'll read Joshua 22, verses 1 through 9. Then the Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He told them, You have done as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you have obeyed every order I have given you. During all this time, you have not deserted the other tribes. You have been careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God right up to this present day. Verse 4, and now the Lord your God has given the other tribes rest as he promised them. So go back home to the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you as your possession on the east side of the Jordan River. But be very careful to obey all the commands and the instructions that Moses gave you. Love the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Obey his commands. Hold firmly to him. Serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Verse 6, so Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went home. Now Moses had given them the land of Bashan, east of the Jordan River, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. The other half of the tribe was given land west of the Jordan. As Joshua sent them away and blessed them, he said, Go back to your homes with the great wealth that you have taken from your enemies, the vast herds of livestock, the silver, the gold, the bronze, the iron, and the large supply of clothing. Share the plunder with your relatives. So the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the rest of Israel at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. They started the journey back to their own land of Gilead, the territory that belonged to them according to the Lord's command through Moses. Do you see the theme of faithfulness running through that section of Scripture? I mean, verse 2 summarized Joshua pretty much told the two and a half tribes, you've been faithful to what I commanded you. You've been faithful to what God commanded you, and you've been faithful to what you said you would do. A little backstory may help here. As the Israelites, as a nation, were, were beginning their final approach to the, to the Jordan River to finally cross over after 40 years of wandering, they defeated a couple of kings. Kings of Og and Sihon. You've, you've heard their names a few times in this series already. So as the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they looked at the lands of the now-conquered kings, they realized it would fit their tribes perfectly. So they approached Moses, and they asked if they could claim this land east of the Jordan River. But Moses wasn't too big a fan of the idea. See, he saw that request as abandoning the rest of the tribes, as bailing out before the major fighting, before taking the promised land. Moses saw their request as a lack of faithfulness. Listen to his response to them in Numbers chapter 32. He says, do you intend to stay here while your brothers go across and do all the fighting? Moses asked the men of Gad and Reuben. Why do you want to discourage the rest of the people of Israel from going across to the land the Lord has given them? Verse 14, but here you are, a brood of sinners doing exactly the same thing. You're making the Lord even angrier with Israel. If you turn away from him like this and he abandons them again in the wilderness, you will be responsible for destroying this entire nation. Moses was not too big a fan of their request. 
But they, they wanted to assure him that, that their intention was not to discourage the rest of Israel. So they replied with this. They approached Moses and said, We simply want to build pens for our livestock, fortified towns for our wives and children. Then we will arm ourselves and lead our fellow Israelites into battle until we have brought them safely to their land. Meanwhile, our families will stay in the fortified towns we build here so they will be safe from any attacks by the local people. We will not return to our homes until all the people of Israel have received their portions of land. But we do not claim any of the land on the other side of the Jordan. We would rather live here on the east side and accept this as our grant of land. So their request, let us build pens for our flocks, fortified cities for our families so they can be safe. Their promise We will lead the Israelite people into battle, and we will not come home until the land is theirs. Now, according to the first nine verses in Joshua 22, they fulfilled their promise. They were faithful to their brothers and sisters from the other tribes, and Joshua gave them high praise for it. He says, you did it. Yeah, you really did. Everything you said you do, you do. So go home now. Go back to your wives and kids. How many of you realize that they were away from their wives and kids the entire conquest of Canaan? Talk about a long deployment. Joshua 11 verse 18 says the Israelites had been waging war for a long time to accomplish this. So in our chapter today, Joshua says, go home. Go home to your wives and your kids. And guys, keep being faithful. I love his instruction in verse 5. He says, love the Lord your God. Walk in all His ways. Obey His commands. Hold firmly to Him. Serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. Sounds a little bit like what Moses had told the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. You hear the echo? Joshua said what Moses had told them already. So Joshua then blessed the eastern tribes in verse 6, and he sent them on their way. Now, after hearing those first nine verses of chapter 22, after hearing the praise given for the eastern tribes' faithfulness, the faithfulness in all they did, you almost want to breathe a big sigh of relief, right? Whew! They did what? They were faithful. The eastern tribes were faithful. But don't breathe that sigh of relief for too long. Because then you get into verse 10. Where it says, But while they were still in Canaan, when they came to a place called Gelioth, near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh stopped and built a large and imposing altar. No! They did what? They built this huge altar. I mean, the Hebrew word here that, that we translate as large and imposing is the same word used to describe the great sea in Numbers chapter 34, the Mediterranean Sea. 
It's the same word that the author of Genesis used to describe the great river, the Euphrates River. This is not just some little four-foot altar. Okay, To be called large and imposing means that the, the altar the eastern tribes built was huge. I mean, it was built so that it could be seen for miles and miles and miles. It was built so that when those tribes crossed the river, they could still see this altar. The eastern tribes did what? I mean, so much for being faithful, yeah? At least that's what the western tribes must have been thinking. Because look at their response in verse 11. The rest of Israel heard that the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had built an altar at Galiloth on the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. So the whole community of Israel gathered together at Shiloh and prepared to go to war against them. War. Isn't that a bit extreme? I mean, that seemed like a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. They built an altar. I don't know if it was so much of a knee-jerk reaction, and more so the Western tribe's passionate desire to be faithful. To remain faithful to Yahweh and to what Yahweh had commanded. We see this commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5. God said, rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship he himself will choose from among all the tribes, the place where his name will be honored. Verse 13, be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings just anywhere you like. You may do so only at the place the Lord your God will choose within one of your tribal territories. There you must offer your burnt offerings and do everything I have commanded you. Now to us today, looking back at the culture that worshipped around altars, it may not seem like too big, of an, uh, too big of an offense for them to build an altar. But for the Western tribes, this was a direct attack. It was a direct act of unfaithfulness. And according to the verse we just read in Deuteronomy 12, the fear that the Western tribes had was that in putting up this altar of sacrifice, this altar of worship, just putting it up anywhere, the Eastern tribes would begin worshiping how the Canaanites worshiped. Kind of anywhere, anyhow, any place. And God did not want this. See that again, still in Deuteronomy 12, verse 2 through 4. (coughs) When you drive out the nations... God said, the nations that live there, you must destroy all the places where they worship their gods. High on the mountains, up in the hills, under every green tree. Break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Burn their Asherah poles and cut down their carved idols. Completely erase the names of their gods. Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan people worship their gods. I love how one commentator put it. He said, for Israel... One altar, one faith, one people. But to allow such worship wherever folks hankered to experience God, it would soon take on a Canaanite color, soak up the Canaanite beliefs, sport Canaanite practices, adore Canaanite gods. In short, this commentator says, it would at one blow kill faithfulness to Yahweh and the unity of Israel. That is why the western tribes were ready to go to war as soon as they heard about this altar. This huge and imposing altar built on their side of the Jordan River nonetheless. 
the tribes were ready for a holy war. And they were ready simply because they wanted complete and unspoiled faithfulness to God. You can hear that in their response to the eastern tribes in Joshua 22, verse 15 and 16. When they arrived in the land of Gilead, they said to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the whole community of the Lord demands to know why you are betraying the God of Israel. How could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar for yourselves in rebellion against him? You jump down to the second half of verse 19, and they say it, But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar other than the one true altar of the Lord our God. The western tribes wanted complete and unspoiled faithfulness to God. Plus, plus they knew that any unfaithfulness from anyone of the people of Israel would result in grave punishment. From God. Grave punishment. Pun intended there, okay? The people of Israel had spent too much time using Scotty's tissue as they stood by the graves of their loved ones that they had to bury. And they were ready to remind the tribes on the eastern side about those graves. Verse 17. Was our sin at Peor not enough? To this day we are not fully cleansed of it. Even after the plague that struck the entire community of the Lord. What was the sin at Peor? Numbers 25 tells us that some of the local Moabite women had convinced the Israelite men to go to bed with them and then to attend sacrifices to their gods. And the Lord was not pleased. In fact, he sent a plague that that destroyed, that killed 24,000 of the Israelites. Remember that, the western tribes said. And if that's not enough, remember Achan. Verse 20. Didn't divine anger fall on the entire community of Israel when Achan, a member of the clan of Zerah, sinned by stealing the things set apart for the Lord? He was not the only one who died because of his sin. Unfaithfulness to God would result in punishment for the entire people group. So the western tribe said to the eastern tribes in verse 18, Yet today you're turning away from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, He will be angry with all of us tomorrow. I think the western tribes, their reaction to this altar, to to being ready for war, and the strong words they had to the two and a half tribes on the other side, there was something to it. It was a call to faithfulness to Yahweh. Get your bows, get your arrows, get your bazookas. Let's go. Let's be faithful to Yahweh, to God Almighty. Let me take you on a little rabbit trail. Okay, It's the very next verse. So verse 12, uh, they're, they're gathering all their weapons. And verse 13, it says this. First, however... They sent a delegation led by Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to talk with the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In this delegation were ten leaders of Israel, one from each of the ten tribes, and each the head of his family within the clans of Israel. Do you see what's going on here? This is conflict resolution at its finest. Don't send guns. Send priests. Send local leaders. I mean, verse 13, first, before taking all their weapons, first, 
They sent a delegation led by Phineas, the son of the priest. If you change the, the tone, if you change the way I read some of the verses that I read earlier, knowing now that they're being spoken by a, by a group of priests and, and leaders of clans without weapons, what you hear is a delegation's gentle response. It's as if the delegation said in, in verse 16, guys, what, what we see is you guys betraying the God of Israel. How could you turn away from the Lord and, and build an altar for yourselves in rebellion against Him? I mean, guys, if you, if you really need a place to worship, come and join us. Verse 19, if you need the altar because the land you possess is defiled, then join us in the Lord's land where the tabernacle of the Lord is situated. Share our land with us. Do not rebel against the Lord or, or against us by building an altar other than the one true altar of the Lord our God. I mean, you change the tone and you look at who went and you realize this is conflict resolution at its finest. <coughs> Send a delegation without weapons. Hear hearts. Share concerns. Be open and, and discern what's really going on. Joshua was a genius. I think in terms of practical application for us today, I mean, if we approach conflicts that we have with other people more like this, I would bet that a lot of our conflicts end differently. Let's go in not expecting the worst, but go in humble, seeking to say, this is what we see. What, what do you have to say? All right, that's my rabbit trail. Let's get back to our story. What we've seen thus far is, is God's tremendous fidelity, His faithfulness to His people and to His promises at the end of chapter 21. We see the eastern tribes, the ones that are going back across the Jordan, they're, they're praised by Joshua. Their faithfulness is praised, and he, he sends them back to their wives and kids across the Jordan from the promised land since it's now been con conquered. But almost immediately, before they even get across the river, we see what seems to be a 180-degree turn to unfaithfulness as the eastern tribe builds this huge and imposing altar. <coughs> and we see the western tribes ready for a holy war, defending faithfulness to God alone. We see this, this delegation sent from the western tribes going to kind of sort out what happens and uh, saying, look, you're, you're making everybody ask, you, you did what? Now we get to see the response of the eastern tribes. Chapter 22, verse 21. Then the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the clans of Israel, The Lord, the Mighty One, is God. The Lord, the Mighty One, is God. He knows the truth, and may Israel know it too. We have not built the altar in treacherous rebellion against the Lord. If we have done so, do not spare our lives this day. If we have built an altar for ourselves to turn away from the Lord or to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, may the Lord Himself punish us. And their response, their first response was not to throw a punch, but it was to cry out, test our faithfulness. Test our faithfulness to God. And, and may God and you smite us if we've been anything but faithful. 
fact, you get to see their desire for faithfulness as these verses continue. The eastern tribes, they, they let the delegation that was sent know that they built this altar not to be unfaithful, but to ensure faithfulness. To ensure unity of Israel and faithfulness to the generations that would follow them. Verse 24. The truth is, they said, we have built this altar because we fear that in the future your descendants will say to ours, what right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and your people, the people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord. So your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. Verse 26. So we decided to build the altar not for burnt offerings or for sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. If they say this, our descendants can reply, look at this copy of the Lord's altar that our ancestors made. It is not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. It's a reminder of the relationship both of us have with the Lord. This huge copy, this exact replica, except like ten times, a hundred times as big. And the eastern tribes were just saying, look, we want a united faithfulness. We want our descendants reminded and your descendants reminded that we are one group of people worshiping the one true God. We want to be faithful. Now, were the eastern tribes, was their fear legitimate? I think so. I mean, there's this big river that they're going to cross, and it's not like God's going to stop it from flowing like He did earlier in our story every time somebody wants to cross over. So their fear that the other, the other tribes would say, wait, 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 you know what? You're on that side. You're not even in the promised land. I think their fear is legitimate. So they built this huge reminder. To remind them that Yahweh was both of their gods. They had no intention of unfaithfulness. Guys, listen, they were saying, we, we built this because we wanted us, and more importantly, the generations after us, to be faithful. Verse 29, far be it from us to rebel against the Lord or to turn away from Him by building our own altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifices. Only the altar of the Lord our God that stands in front of the tabernacle may be used for that purpose. This verse, this verse reminds us, it proves their faithfulness to God. This is exactly what Deuteronomy 12.5 talked about that, that the western tribes were concerned about. But they're saying, no, we want to still be faithful to that God. We want to only worship where He wants us to worship. So how does all this end? It ends peacefully. First, the delegation is satisfied. Verse 30. When Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israel, heard this from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they were satisfied. Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, replied to them, Today we know the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord as we thought. Instead, you have rescued Israel from being destroyed by the hand of the Lord. 
So the delegation was satisfied. And the delegation went back and they told the other ten tribes and they were satisfied too. Verse 32 and 33. Then Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, and the other leaders left the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Gilead, and they returned to the land in Canaan to tell the Israelites what had happened. And all the Israelites were satisfied and they praised God and they spoke no more of war against Reuben and Gad. So the delegation is satisfied. The the other ten tribes are satisfied. And what happens is peace, which is what God wants from His people. Paul reminded the church of Colossians that in chapter 3, verse 15. He said, Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace. And we get to see this in the twelve tribes of Israel in our story today. Now this chapter ends with a beautiful declaration of God. Verse 34, The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called their altar witness. For, they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Yahweh is God. And we're faithful to Him alone. Yahweh is God. This is the declaration in the Old Testament. It's a call to faithfulness. We see it from Moses in Deuteronomy 4. He says, God showed you these things so that you would know Yahweh is God and there is no other. Remember this. Keep it firmly in mind. Yahweh is God, both in heaven and on earth. We see the same cry from the people who watched the, uh, uh, this battle between Elijah and the prophets on Mount Carmel. When the fire came down and lapped up the sacrifice, the people cried out. They, they saw it. They fell on their face and they cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, Yahweh is God. That was their call to faithfulness. I jump to the New Testament and that call becomes Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans chapter 10. You guys can look those up later. Throughout the centuries, people have stood by that call to faithfulness. People have died quoting Jesus is Lord. You know, if I can be faithful to a certain brand of tissue, or if we can be faithful to a sports team, we should be all the more faithful to God. We should be all the more faithful to claim Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. So where does that leave us this morning? Where do we go from here? You know, I think as is so often the case, I'll leave you with questions. Questions that I will then trust the Holy Spirit to to prompt and, and nudge you with. So this morning, I ask this. Have you recognized God's faithfulness to you? Have you recognized God's faithfulness to First Church, to His promises? This morning, are you living a life of faithfulness? So much so that, like Joshua said to the uh, Eastern tribes at the beginning of Joshua 22, somebody could say to you, you've done everything you promised, and you've done everything God asked you to do. This morning, are you willing to question And this has to be done well. Are you willing to question or seek discernment or confront someone who's a fellow believer that appears to be drifting from complete faithfulness to God? 
I'm not calling you to arms. I'm not saying go get your, your bows and your arrows, but I'm, I'm calling you to a prayerful, peaceful, Holy Spirit guided, hey, we, we think you might be drifting from faithfulness type of conversation. If that's what God's calling you this morning, do that prayerfully. Do it carefully. But don't neglect the conversation. I asked this morning too, what are we doing? to ensure the faithfulness of the generations that come after us. I know that for the last six weeks, we've had a group of 10-ish or so families that are, that are trying to figure out what it means to, to raise their kids in a godly way. Sunday evenings at, at Visionary Parenting. I know there's others in here who have kids and maybe they're trying to have kids or they have neighbors or relatives. They're they're trying to make sure that the faithfulness to God continues from generation to generation. So I ask us as a church for people who have been more seasoned Christian for for longer times, what are we doing to assist them in helping this furthering of faithfulness to God alone? I guess final question would be, are we being faithful to Yahweh? Is Jesus Lord? And do our actions prove it? It's a lot to let sink in this morning. I'm going to ask the worship to come forward, and I'm going to ask you guys as we sing a couple more songs to open your hearts. Let the Holy Spirit prompt you. Let Him guide you. Let Him poke you. And let Him decide what you should do with this morning's service. Let me pray, and then we'll stand and worship. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that, as 2 Timothy 3 talks about, even the times when we are unfaithful, you are still faithful because you cannot be anything but. I pray, Father, that we would get just a a glimpse, just a small grip of that faithfulness. I pray it would affect the way we live. It would affect the way we interact with each other in our church family in our biological families, in our workplaces. God, may when people look at us, may they say, you know what, you do what you promise. You do what God has told you to do. I want to be a people, Lord, that is known for our faithfulness. And we can't do that without your help. (coughs) So I ask, Lord, that you would help us in that this morning. God, as we worship in song, may you... Lay on our hearts whatever we need from this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.